What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hail Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. Let's get in on a, on a Tuesday at Hail Varsity Radio presents by the Nebraska Lottery, Chris Smith, Damon Barr in today on a Tuesday. We are loaded up to talk a little football, some hoops, some volleyball, and uh, some thoughts from Rick Kaczynski on the way. You can join us at 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. can email Chris at Hale Varsity. Dot com and follow us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio at Damon Barr. That's two R's to find Damon on Twitter. So the, the, the national news of the day has been all about the great Tiger Woods. And uh, here is the latest just to reset. If you've been away from social media or the radio or the TV, uh, Tiger Woods involved in a serious car accident Tuesday morning about 712 a.m. L.A. time. And uh, that required him to be extricated from the vehicle. That the word from the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Woods, uh, multiple leg injuries per his agent, Mark Steinberg. And uh, the golfer was in surgery uh, this afternoon. So you had emergency personnel responding to a rollover crash at uh, Rancho Polos Verdes in California. A police source said the initial report from the accident scene indicated the possibility of two broken legs and that the injuries are not thought to be life-threatening. So the single-car accident this morning in California where uh, Woods suffered multiple leg injuries, per Steinberg's statement, he is currently in surgery. We thank you for your privacy and your support, uh, according to the sheriff's department, the single vehicle rollover traffic collision occurred on the border of Rolling Hills Estates and Rancho Polos, and the vehicle sustained major damage. So, some footage from local seven in Los Angeles, an ABC station showed a crane actually lifting Tiger's vehicle out, and uh, the the latest update. I have is that you have Woods that he he does not have life threatening injuries with this crash. So you you mentioned the multiple leg injuries with this single single car rollover in the back of his vehicle decimated the sunroof not punctured uh, both doors on Woods's vehicle intact so jaws of life were not used what la fire and uh, la city uh, county and city paramedics did do to get tiger woods out of his vehicle was they used a a hook mechanism along with an axe to rip out the windshield 
then secure Tiger on a board to, to extricate him. So uh, high levels of speed, thought to be part of this rollover. And the topic here when it comes to potential injuries that were laid out by a medical analyst that was part of ABC's coverage, uh, compound fractures, pelvis fracture, fever, femur, tibia, all those types of injuries associated. Uh, when it comes to, to head trauma, uh, Tigers was wearing his seatbelt, medical experts believe, and Woods, uh, to be in the operating room, has been given an okay uh, bill of health when it comes to, to, to head trauma. They're not going to go do surgery on his lower extremities if he is uh, in danger of having severe head trauma. So, Tiger, uh, the latest report from L.A. Fox was, and there's so much right now on social media, uh, A, they're not life-threatening injuries. B, per L.A. Fox, law enforcement sources tell L.A. Fox News there's nothing salacious about the Woods crash. No charges pending. He went off an embankment and rolled and is currently just an investigation for a bad traffic accident as of right now. Uh, Severe injuries, but not life-threatening multiple leg injuries. And just a day earlier, maybe you saw this on social media, Dwayne Wade and Tiger Woods playing golf. He had David Spade in the golf cart, and Tiger was shooting a documentary for the for Golf Digest. So one report also has Tiger was alert and able to, to speak to medical personnel uh, that, that came upon the scene. So the, the concern is this for his health and safety and his family when you have a, a, an accident that horrific. His neighbors or, or the neighbors in the neighborhood where this accident happened did not hear anything. So, usually the, the, something that, that looks that horrific, you hear. You hear screeching, you hear the crashing. The people that were interviewed didn't hear anything. And uh, with these injuries, pelvis, femur, tibia, there's a lot of bleeding with lower extremity trauma. So, the, the concern is blood clots, if it's an open wound, if it's a compound fracture, you have a situation where there could be an inf- in infection. Now, if Woods is in his vehicle till he's pulled out and there's an open wound, he's not out in the open air. He's not out in the dirt or, or wooded area where he rolled over. But when you have bones exposed, uh, that is not a good thing when it comes to infection. So clearly uh, thoughts and prayers to uh, an icon and a great and somebody we we love watching and cheering on. But just from a human standpoint, uh, this is just incredibly shocking and sad news about Tiger Woods and wish him well and his family well as he moves forward. But this could have been an absolutely worse story uh, an outcome compared to what the vehicle looked like. So there's your update here on. Tiger Woods surgery, uh, non-life-threatening injuries, 
uh, and uh, L.A. County and L.A. City fire. Uh, incredible with their rescue operation to get him extricated from the vehicle. Uh, multiple fractures. We'll, we'll have more with a jock doc on this uh, tomorrow. So there's your Tiger Woods update in its awful news with his injuries. And I just wonder, you just wonder what happened at 7.12 in the morning. Maybe you're, you're going a bit too fast. You hit embankment, you roll over. You just wonder, and you hope Tiger was in a good headspace, and there's nothing sinister behind this. And I hate even like throwing that out there, but you got a guy that's 45 and is really having to fight and claw to do what he loves, and that's play golf. And his body just is breaking down uh, pre-accident. Let's uh, get some Nebraska football thoughts as Bill Moose. I had a chance to speak with the World Herald. We didn't quite get to that yesterday. We spent a lot of time on Jay Foreman and Jason Peter and their um, ability to be back part of the program. Mitch Sherman's 10 minutes away. We'll uh, run down Jacob Padilla to hit some volleyball and Husker basketball in, in less than an hour. And then Rick Kaczynski will be with us. But uh, Bill Moose sat down with Tom Chattel, and not quite a guarantee, but when it comes to the Big Ten, uh, Bill Moose is really pushing to have fans at the red-white spring game May 1st. Lots of them, says the Moose. And if we're back to normal next fall, uh, we'll get back to that sellout streak. So Moose has a prediction. Football fans will be back at Memorial Stadium next fall and not just a couple of thousand. On one hand, you got to feel good with the NCAA allowing fans for volleyball coming up in Omaha. You got to feel pretty good with the NCAA allowing fans in Indy for the NCAA tournament, 25% capacity. That's not 75%. It's not 50%. You got a week from today, girls' state basketball starts, PBA allowing 75%, NSAA locally. But well, what Bill Moose is doing right now he and in, in, in different parts of the Big Ten, there's a real push to have Big Ten schools use local health officials as their guide when it comes to opening venues to the public. A flexible approach to the issue opposed to the dictatorship of the Big Ten. And if if, if your if your big brother entity is allowing people in it shouldn't be that hard of a conversation for the conference. And listen, the Big Ten footprint is vast. It's different strokes for different folks. Maryland right now is having a problem. I get it. Iowa and Nebraska seem to be all right from a number standpoint, right? And listen, you want and need to get paid, right? You need you need local economies in Omaha, in Lincoln, in Champaign, in Iowa City, in Evanston, in Ann Arbor, in Columbus, uh, to have a, a, a sense of normalcy with income, money being spent, and we all pray that everyone's vaccinated by then. So leave it up to a local take. And if, and if it's just not good in your local area, and it's got to be no fans in the stands, totally get it. Totally get it, but at least leave it up to uh, local control, A, to make the right decision, the safe decision, but B, 
to allow <laughs> leaders to do their job, please, right? And you look at the Big Ten in baseball right now, and Mitch Sherman had this tweet earlier today about you know the NCAA baseball selection committee. Well, they're going to do a lot of looking at, at crossover matchups, interconference. The non-conference will, will be a big statement. Well, you're screwed, Big Ten, because you have no non-conference. So you just got to do what you can in your league and hope there's some clout in your league. And right now it's kind of Michigan in the Big Ten and Nebraska's trying to do their thing. But uh, the, the, the Big Ten athletic departments have been losing money. When it comes to what Nebraska's done to survive, uh, it, it, it has survived because of television money and about $60 million in the reserve fund. The athletic budgets hit around $40 million, way less than the $100 million. And uh, Moose said all 51 athletic department workers who were furloughed are back working, and everyone's got a 10% pay reduction. But the reserve fund did what it was supposed to do, but it would be you'd be hard-pressed to be able to survive again going to the piggy bank. So... That's where we're at. I like Bill Moose getting out in front of this. Some of you are are tired of hearing, a Mo- hearing Moose talk. I am not. Let him get the word out there right now. Let him plant that seed for more local control. And let him plant the seed for the ability to have fans in the stands. And a full memorial stadium against Buffalo would be awesome. A jam-packed champagne uh, Memorial Stadium in Illinois for week zero with the world of college football watching. That'd be incredible. And you can bet your dollar that Nebraska fans, if allowed, will travel to kick things off. So uh, we'll see if Nebraska can get there. Some thoughts uh, on Nebraska and the offense to get into. Uh, good story by Derek Peterson, as Dr. Petey always does a, just a killer column on Mondays when it comes to Nebraska and uh, their their razor-thin margin for error, right? Uh, one thing Nebraska football has struggled with is turning yards into points, and it's a penalty or a turnover or a third-down conversion or a play call or an execution. I mean, all of it's that that big ball of wax, that that snowball that gets bigger. And Nebraska put up really nice yards against the Iowas. They put up really nice yards against the Northwesterns. They did well at times against the Ohio States, but you don't turn them into points. So you have that slim margin for error. And what makes up for mistakes is having guys go make plays. Right, You can overcome, but you need an eraser or two or four. And for Nebraska football, I believe this year as we look towards the fall, as we get through the spring and the guys work out during the summer, I think you can settle in on an offensive identity. You can really feel good about your offensive line. And you can get some guys at the wide receiver position, Ture and Manning and Nixon, Right and and Alante Brown and and your tight end groups to to find a way to get downfield and attack downfield because you and I'm forgetting bets slap me 
bets, yes, for sure. But those guys I've just listed off, you have more than one option and you have more than one choice to get deep. So maybe the offense and the passing game downfield looks a little bit more like 2018 when you had Stanley and J.D. I always point to those two because they complemented one another so well. And that's what you've not had in the passing game to get downfield is that complementary element. Well, guys need to be able to do it on the field. But you you get a, a workout horse running back in step and some other candidates. You got that receiver room ready to go. Could see uh, way better things offensively. Mitch Sherman's on the way. It's Hale Varsity. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Stop in store for details. Plus taxes and fees for some plans. Virtual Express MasterCard within eight weeks of receipt of valid submission. Complete port within 60 days. Ctmobile.com for 5G devices coverage and plan details. Back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Thanks for hanging out on a Tuesday. It's Hale Varsity. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr. We say hi to Mitch Sherman from The Athletic at Mitch Sherman on Twitter. So, Mitch, uh, a lot to cover today. And uh, I saw your tweet earlier today uh, when it comes to the NCAA Selection Committee for Baseball and uh, their uh, their weight being put on uh, on the non-conference and uh, what the Big Ten's doing. Uh, well played, my friend, on social media uh, with the uh, the Jeff Bloom. Uh, oops, <laughs> oops. What are your what are your feelings for the Big Ten and their argument here? I know baseball's a, a little bit away, but man, it's. You got one one hand uh, tied behind your back here, man. That's kind of what it is. I mean, I think the Big Ten has sent a message that baseball is just an afterthought. Baseball and softball right now, maybe it's this year. You could maybe interpret that to mean that that's the Big Ten's attitude toward baseball in every year. You know, it's interesting that this comes on the heels of what we hope expect is going to be the first full season of competition after Michigan made it all the way to the college world series championship series in back in 2019. Of course, last year, the season was cut short everywhere, not by the big 10, but by the NCAA in the second week of March. So really that Vanderbilt Michigan championship series is the last time we've seen two teams out there playing for a title and it involved a big 10 team and there was a lot of momentum at that time i think to take that to take big 10 base hello this year is that yep sorry brother keep going you cut out we dropped you for about two seconds okay um well i i to continue that I, i i think the the message that the big 10 has sent here this year um, is that you know it's it's not a major source of revenue and it's not at the top of the league's priority list or there would have been a way determined there would have been a, they, they would have found a way to have on a bigger stage this spring well, what's happening in the big 12 and in the SEC as we saw this last weekend with the big tournament 
between members of those two conferences, the Big Ten is plodding along toward its conference-only schedule. Uh, fortunately, there is some kind of an investment early in the season, and, and the league is allowing teams to go south, play games against conference competition, which is just an odd thing to do. Um, you know, better better that than nothing, but um, I don't really see the uh, the logic in removing all elements of non-conference play. You know, certainly Nebraska could play games against Creighton, UNO, Kansas State, sure. and not have any, any additional degree of uh, safety issue than what you have with a series against Purdue or a series against Rutgers or a series in, uh, in Texas against Big Ten competition. Mitch Sherman's with us from The Athletic, Hale Varsity Radio, at Mitch Sherman on Twitter. Mitch, uh, your reaction to some of Bill Moose's comments about uh, you know, fans in stands, local control, and uh, the optimism for for fall 2021, butts in seats in Memorial Stadium and uh, all over Big Ten stadiums. Is that wishful thinking, or do you think it can be more of a reality based on what you see at the NCAA do with volleyball and with NCAA basketball? Yeah, I wish I knew. You know, I wish I knew the direction that everything was going to go. You know, we get curveballs continuously dealt to us over the last year. I think it's reality. I hope it's reality. It looks like it from trends that we see um, from news that we hear but you know sitting here a year ago or you know let's take it back 11 months at the end of March I think we all hoped that there would be butts and seats in a normal college football season in the fall of 2020 and we saw how that went now I I have no reason to believe that we're headed back toward a similar trajectory um, to what a year ago brought certainly it seems like we're through the worst of um, you know a lot of these issues that are going to keep sports disrupted but um, you know, there's there's no doubt going to be more um, unexpected developments. And this has been the track that Bill Moose has wanted to go on uh, from, you know, many months ago. And I've talked to him about his desire to have fans at Memorial Stadium. He wanted to have fans at Memorial Stadium in 2020 in much the same way that schools in the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 um, did in, in limited capacities in, the, in, in um, you know, in football stadiums last season. So, uh, you know, of course he's going to aim for that. Um, you know, we'll see what the verdict is from the Big Ten as we get further into this year. certainly think that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be in a position with, with vaccination efforts to have a lot of fans, um, if, not, if not full attendance, uh, in the fall at college football games. But, you know, I would have thought that, um, that last fall was going to look a lot different than it did uh, at the, you know, at the middle and end of, of March in, in 2020. Um, everything that we've heard recently uh, with with plans to put fans in seats during these these championships in the spring and on into the early summer is positive and good steps toward even bigger, uh, you know, larger attendance in the fall. So sounds like 25 percent at the at the NCAA volleyball tournament in Omaha in April. We already already knew 25 percent at the NCAA basketball tournament in Indianapolis in March. No word yet on the College World Series, but it's outside. It's in June. You know, I would think 50%, um, maybe even even closer to 75 or 100% at TD Ameritrade Park in June. Uh, that's uh, you know that's that's what you're um, you know that's that's what I'm I'm hoping yeah. and expecting that it'll continue to increase. But we'll see with uh, we'll see how things progress. Mitch, uh, let's talk Luke McCaffrey and uh, Louisville. Do you think? Uh, was Louisville on your radar? Is my question. Not before Monday morning, um, 
heard about it on, on Monday morning and, and did, a, did a little bit of research uh, into Malik Cunningham, the, uh, the Cards returning starter situation, somewhat similar on the surface to what, it, what uh, the quarterback position is like at Nebraska um, with the, an entrenched starter, an experienced guy who's had some issues with turnovers. Um, there's some grumbling among the fan base. It was a 4-7 and seven team, Louisville was, last season under Scott Satterfield. Um, so McCaffrey's walking into a spot with an established guy, and then a couple of young quarterbacks, m- much like Nebraska has with Logan Smothers and, and Heinrich Harburg. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think that McCaffrey's decision to transfer from Nebraska had all that much to do with the competition that he would have faced or was facing in uh, in going against Adrian Martinez. Um, so it wouldn't seem that a competition with Cunningham in 2021 would necessarily scare him away from going to Louisville. It's about finding the right fit, um, finding an offense where he feels like he can be featured, um, finding a, 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 a coaching staff and a system where his progress can go in a certain direction and stay on that path. That's That, to me, was the biggest issue with McCaffrey over the last few months, is that there were there were too many changes in the direction that his progress was going. It went from, as we've discussed mm-hmm. multiple times in this in this spot, it went from one role against Ohio State to another role against Northwestern to another one against Penn State and Illinois, another one against Iowa, and he never settled into something that was um, was uh, consistent for him in the 2020 season. And it's hard when you go through that and play that schedule. To uh, you know, to have a lot of confidence that next year is going to be any different. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what sent him looking for greener pastures, and we'll see if he's uh, if he's found it in the ACC. Yep, consistency is, is something we all want. And uh, before we let you go, Mitch Sherman's with us from the Athletic. About three minutes here, Mitch. Uh, your take here on on Jay Foreman and Jason Peter as they are now uh, part of the the staff as volunteer uh, members of the program, and and what's your what's your takeaway? Well, they're both positive influences and good guys to have around for sure. Um, Nebraska certainly doesn't want to. You know, you, you can't just you can't just um, you can't just take Jay Foreman and Jason Peter and turn this team into, into 1997 Nebraska. I think everybody understands that, and I think they understand that. I think they understand that. You know, they're from a different era, and that was almost 25 years ago now when those guys won championships, but. There is a way to use the experience that they have and the attitudes, even more so, that they bring and the, and the, the um, you know the wisdom that those two guys have, the knowledge of of uh, certain elements of the Nebraska program that are timeless, that they can that they can that they can uh, contribute, mm-hmm. that they can they can somehow um, you know, use that. Use that knowledge and that wisdom to uh, you know, to make this a better program. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that looks. I think Jason will be a, mo- a motivational guy, no doubt, to have in that in that in the weight room. And you know, Jay, longtime uh, NFL player, father was an NFL player, got a ton of knowledge about the sport of football. Um, I know Jay coaches uh, himself, uh, younger players for sure, but um, I think he definitely understands how to relate to. To kids today, so he'll be a benefit to Nebraska 
um, and the defensive coaching staff. And, and um, I think in that player development role that he's going to fit into, he's somebody for sure who can, who can lend his experience. You know, he's a guy who came from out of state, as is, as is Jason. Mm-hmm. So uh, their, their experience for sure, their experiences at Nebraska can be beneficial to, uh, to the players and the coaches on that staff. I got a kick out of Jay. I bumped into Jay. This is three, four years ago. Uh, small fry basketball in, in North Lincoln. And it's the old Salvation Army. And long and short of it, Carson had a, a coach that, that passed away. But his coach was just awesome. Was a great motivator, great teacher, but was loud, man. And he was loud and his tone was direct to the kids. And Jay comes walking over to the to the bench. Uh, his his uh, kids were going to warm up after my kids' game got done. And Jay kind of turns and looks and he's like, Schmidt, you got your boy playing for Bobby Knight? <laughs> and we just kind of had a chuckle about that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen Jay do his thing, you know, coaching the little little ones uh, that aren't so little anymore, and he loves it. And, and I think both these guys are going to be just tremendous assets, yes, but I, I think they're going to come about it from a being able to relate standpoint versus a back-in-my-day take. I, I think, yeah, that's, I I think that's the approach. Yeah, I agree, and and I ran into Jay a couple of weeks ago uh, okay. on the basketball court, and you know it, it, he has a presence about him for mm-hmm. sure. Um, it's the same way with Jason. Mm-hmm. When when those guys come into a room and they're around football players, um, I, I think you can feel some of the energy that, that they bring. Um, they were that way as players. I think they're that way as adults, as former players, mm-hmm. and you know that's something that uh, can be a benefit for sure. Uh, Scott Frost and his staff. Mitch, have a good rest of your week, man. Thanks for jumping on with us. Good to spend some time with you. All right. Good to talk to you, Chris. All right. Mitch Sherman with us on Hale Varsity. Add Mitch Sherman on Twitter. And uh, we'll get you an update on Tiger Woods. Uh, some more news to pass along. Hale Varsity continues. Listen to this radio station on the radio. Chime in 402-466-ESPN or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me. Try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Thanks for spending time. It's Hail Varsity. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr, and uh, some commentary here on the Tiger Woods accident from earlier today. And uh, Tigers got a lot of admirers uh, that that have played golf or started playing golf uh, because, hey, uh, he has inspired that many people. Uh, Justin Thomas, a friend of Tiger Woods, choking up earlier today with news of the crash. You know, it hurts to... See one of your, I mean, now my closest friends, um, you know, getting in an accident. And man, I just hope he's all right. Um, just, uh, just worry for his kids. You know, I'm sure they're struggling. The I watched a little of the footage yesterday again with that Golf Digest documentary where Dwayne Wade is is you know firing up social media. He's doing a little quick little live stream and posts it on Twitter. And he's like, what's up? I'm, I'm with the GOAT. He's not comfortable with it. And uh, Tiger's kind of just built behind his right shoulder. And and Dwayne's like, hey, I'm getting, I, I, am I good? Am I bad? And, and 
Tiger just pauses and goes, good, good. And he has that, that Tiger smile. It's like uh, you're getting, you're improving, right? You're improving. And that's what we're all hoping for for, for Tiger Woods is, is he'll recover from this with uh, the, the number of lower extremity injuries. But uh, again, I uh, had an angel watching over him, man, with as bad as that wreck uh, was. We have Stephen A. Smith, uh, Stephen A. Smith, uh, a little bit earlier today on ESPN reacting. You're, you're talking to an individual right now that, that has been a journalist for over 27 years covering the world of sports. Um, and I've never even known anybody that participated in golf, nor did I care until Tiger Woods came along. It's just that simple. Um, as a black man, we didn't feel invited, per se. Obviously, you had the right to compete. You had the right to participate. But when uh, a sport appears to have ostracized, disenfranchised communities, at least it gives that impression. Uh, the bottom line is that you're not going to see yourself gravitating towards that. Um, you can look at the sport of tennis. Arthur Ashe participated. But when Venus and Serena Williams came along, all of a sudden you had black folks paying attention more than ever before to the world of tennis. Well, the same is applicable to the sport of golf. That wasn't the case with football. It certainly isn't. It hasn't been the case with basketball. But in a sport like golf, uh, you know, you definitely got that impression. And then Tiger Woods came along and you found everybody rooting about Tiger. They didn't even know who his competitors were. They didn't know about Jack Nicklaus and his 18 uh, majors. And they didn't care about all of that stuff. What they cared about was what Tiger Woods was doing. Mm-hmm. And you ultimately became more informed because you saw a guy that was nothing short of great that looked like he was going to shatter records. And you were looking at the records to see what records he would ultimately shatter. That was the mentality that it was. If it were not for Tiger, you wouldn't have cared about all of those other things. You wouldn't have cared about Sam Snead and, and what he had accomplished with, you know, his 80 or 81 PGA Tour wins. You wouldn't have cared about Jack Nicklaus' 18 majors. You wouldn't have cared about those things. You cared about it because you knew that Tiger was coming for all of those records and a black man was going to knock him down. That was the mentality that you had. That was how you viewed it as a black person coming out of a black community. And that's the way it has always been. And no matter what, you know, you look at Tiger Woods with an incredible level of pride because you think about how the score, how the sport has grown uh, before our very eyes, how popularized it has become, the money, the revenue that has been generated by the sport. Tiger's at, at, you know, he's he's at the front of the line with all of that, making that happen. If it wasn't for Tiger Woods, one could easily argue there's no way on earth that the sport would have generated the same kind of revenue it has generated over the years. It certainly would not have gotten the ratings, the television ratings that it had received. It wouldn't have the interest, you know, emanating from various communities throughout this nation, not just the white community, even the black community, the Hispanic community, the Asian American community. The list goes on and on. When you are a transcendent figure, stand, you know, just, you know, just touched with greatness, uh, um, everybody's going to support you. And that's the way it was for Tiger Woods. That's the way it has always been. And we're hoping that we'll get an opportunity to continue to root for and cheer for him as time moves forward. Uh, well said by Stephen A. Smith. And uh, some uh, not... sometimes Stephen A. can wear me out, but sometimes he's absolutely on the money and uh, pretty big time uh, for him, and, and he's right on the money with the the ripple effect of Tiger, and uh, pretty impressive. Four six six three seven seven six four six six thirty seven seventy six eight hundred eight two five five eight six five. Something really cool today, and uh, that is uh, 
one of Nebraska's own, a McDonald's High School All-American. Where will he go? I, I have no clue. But Hunter Salas, kudos to you, sir, uh, for your incredible career at Millard North and being a five-star prospect, creating buzz and excitement. Uh, every time we've had a chance to call a game you've done either in the state championships or just a couple of times you've come to Lincoln when we've done local coverage. Of course, the show uh, Millard North put on with some some wow wins out in uh, Grand Island and in Hastings not long ago, a couple weekends ago for that, uh, that, that tournament that is pretty legendary when you get Sunrise Academy and Oak Hill Academy uh, participating against uh, Bell West and Millard North. We'll talk to Jacob Padilla coming up here in a bit, but uh, what it means to have uh, a guy out of the Metro, uh, Hunter Salas, a McDonald's All-American. That's uh, pretty uh, impressive. Now, a, a guy that is phenomenal basketball player is, is Chucky Hepburn. He was, I'm sure, a candidate as well. Hunter gets it as a, uh, a five-star and Hunter's been incredible all season long. We'll have uh, girls coverage tonight of some district action. Motsi and, and uh, uh, Willie J and his mullet will be uh, calling some action tonight. So pretty awesome uh, about Hunter Salas. Uh, just the third Nebraskan per Mike Sauter to be named a McDonald's All-American. That uh, makes you smile. That also inspires. We're talking Tiger Woods and his inspiration to so many people to, get to go play golf, right? Well, uh, Hunter's a guy that a lot of kids that are playing prep ball or pickup ball or some sort of select ball, uh, they look at that and say, wow, man, maybe that can be me someday. Uh, good luck. God bless. Get in the gym. Work on it. And and hope you can uh, hit the mid-range, hit the three, and get to the rim and be a three-level score. So we'll, we'll spend some time with Jacob Padilla coming up. Uh, Husker Volleyball is, uh, they are bulletproof, man. They are so amazing with not only their training, their coaching, their mentality, their execution, their ability. And uh, what a statement they made to regroup against Minnesota. John Cook and jacking around. He is absolutely dialed in for Wisconsin this weekend. We'll get Jacob's take on on volleyball and what Husk, what what the Husker volleyball squad needs to do uh, against uh, Wisconsin. Some basketball thoughts from Jacob for Nebraska and uh, a prep roundup from Jacob. Rick Kaczynski, uh, his take on Jay Foreman and Jason Peter. So uh, moving forward, hour two coming up at Tail Varsity. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And now, and now back to Hail Varsity Radio. Thanks for hanging out. Tuesday edition, Hail Varsity Radio. Find us on the podcast, Heard Ad Media. Also, ESPNLincoln.com for the on-demand portions of the show and uh, ways to get us. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Give us a review. Tell us what you love, you hate, the gray area in between. And uh, always email Chris at HailVarsity.com. Follow on Twitter. At ESPN Lincoln at Hale Varsity. Reminder about buckling up. 70% of people in fatal crashes in Nebraska not wearing a seatbelt. If used properly, a seatbelt can reduce the risk of fatal injury by 60%. Your best defense in any crash buckling up brought to you by the Nebraska 
Department of Highway Safety Office. We uh, will bring in Damon Barr here. So it is Coach Osborne's 84th birthday today. And uh, T.O., got to love February, guys. And interested, I, I don't know. I should ask Babbers about this, and Babbers may not know. But is, you know, what, what's T.O. doing? Is he doing an ice cream cake tonight? Is he a German chocolate fan? Is he uh, like a cola cake guy? Does he want some apple crisps, some cherry crisps, some peach cobbler? Is he just a vanilla ice cream dude? Is he a Sunday banana split? Uh, my wife got me, and I think she got it for her, but it was for me, a, a uh, God, what was it, man? It was a salted caramel bunt cake. And that bastard lasted like less than 24 hours between all of us. Between all of us, it was inhaled. Most of the time, it's the, the monster ice cream cake, but I, it, I'm, that's too expensive for me, she says. So we, we've gone bunt cake, which I'm sure wasn't cheap. But if we're doing a draft, I'm still going with ice cream cake. Because you've got the vanilla, you've got the chocolate, and then you've got the, the kind of the fudge in the middle. Damon, where are you going? And what do you think T.O.'s going with? Uh, and, and don't forget, he'd go for two, so you can give me two. Right. Okay, two. Okay, well, that you stole my ice, ice cream cake so good, man. But uh, if, if it was me, I'd go with a, a cookie cake uh-huh. and some uh, vanilla bean ice cream. See, you Throw got, that on top. Uh, you know, and, and people, there's so many different flavors. I And I like, I'm a... I'm a big pistachio ice cream guy, and I'll eat the mass-produced kind because that's about all I can find. But there's a couple of local ice cream spots that they do their own, and it's phenomenal. And if I find out that it's it's available, I am oinking, and I'm just going to inhale it. But you're right. The, the vanilla bean take, or and my grandparents always used to do this, and I got to talk my mom and grandma into doing it. But home, like homemade ice cream, like the homemade where you've got the salt and the ice in the spinner, that stuff is crack. It is incredible. Like the whole, and there's no, there's no vanilla bean in it, but it's like this outer world touch of, of incredible. So yes, but I'm with you. I mean, don't, I don't need fudge or nuts or strawberry or, or butterscotch. Give me, give me like homemade vanilla or give me the vanilla bean. You are right on to go classic. Vanilla bean ice cream's like option football, right? Really good. We'll talk uh, some volleyball, some hoops, some uh, McDonald's All-Americans. Jacob Padilla coming up. Rick Kaczynski on the way. Hale Varsity continues presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Into Hour 2, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr, we welcome in 
Jacob Padilla from HailVarsity.com and Magazine at Jacob Padilla underscores where you follow him. Jacob, getting ready for hoops tonight. How are you? I'm doing well. It's beautiful outside. I went outside in a t-shirt today, so I'm, I'm in a good mood for sure. Good for you, man. It is absolutely nice to, to have a little bit of a thaw going on. And we'll get to hoops. We'll get to Hunter. We'll get to uh, some prep hoops. But want to start off with volleyball. And um, you saw Nebraska take it on the chin uh, Friday uh, against a really tr- tremendously talented Minnesota team. And then you saw... Uh, a really locked in and uh, emphatic response by Coach Cook and his women uh, Sunday against Minnesota. Let's let's go back to last weekend. What did that tell you about Nebraska volleyball? Because uh, we were all you know when we talked a week ago, it was a major step up in competition. They were going to see they split, but but what what's the lasting impression you had? Yeah, I think the lasting impression is just the Sunday sweep and the level of play that they reached on that day. And I think Minnesota played really well on Friday, but I think Nebraska, for the most part, I think a lot of that result was on Nebraska's side. And they made Minnesota look really good. Um, I I don't know if it was um, kind of the lack of competition to that point, because, I mean, they hadn't looked great against, and they dropped a set to Rutgers. They dropped a set to Maryland. Um, they they weren't weren't facing great teams the first few weeks. So Minnesota was the first ranked opponent they saw, uh, the first one that had enough talent to really to really test them and push them. And they just weren't ready that Friday night for whatever reason. And, but the fact that they're able to bounce back and so thoroughly dominate that that um, that game from start to finish on Sunday, um, that kind of shows I think what this team is capable of and how good they can be. And um, I winning in that fashion after kind of getting embarrassed two days before um, says a lot about the program and kind of we'll see these, these back-to-backs. Um, and they had a little extra time uh, during that weekend uh, to kind of think about what had just happened because of the, the Friday-Sunday split as opposed to Friday-Saturday that most of the other weekends are going to be and have been. So it's a little different in that regard, but just kind of the, the quick turnaround the ability to make adjustments and to fix your mistakes and be ready for what the opponent's going to throw at you in terms of adjustments. Um, it shows that Nebraska has a high ceiling. It's just a matter of can they, how consistently can they play close to that ceiling? Cause they're going to have to be right there at the top just to hang with Wisconsin this weekend. Well, let's go there and uh, areas of, of confidence. If you're a Nebraska volleyball fan going into Madison, areas of concern and from just from a matchup standpoint offense and defense you know I, I don't know volleyball like you obviously so what makes Madison so what makes Wisconsin so incredible and you know where's Nebraska in your opinion match up favorably and where where could there be con- some some concern yeah well, um what makes them so good is just they're really talented and it starts with their setter and uh uh, Sydney um, Hilly is one of the, mm. the best in the country, um, All-American uh, coming back from last year's team, um, be- best setter in the, the Big Ten, um, most accomplished setter. So it starts there, and then you've got Dana Retke, who's a three-time All-American, six-foot-eight, uh, just dynamic middle blocker that controls action 
both defensively and offensively. And then they've got a bunch of hitters outside of them. Uh, and they've got four, five, six different hitters that they can go to and be really efficient with. So it's just really tough to defend a team that has that many options and a setter that's good enough to make the right pass every time. So that's kind of the, the challenge that Nebraska's going to face here is um, uh, Wisconsin is leading the Big Ten in hitting percentage, and they're leading the Big Ten in opponent hitting percentage. So they've been the best offensive and defensive team in the conference. Nebraska is number two in both those categories, so they've, they've been right there. Um, and they're going to have to just step it up another level this weekend. And I think last year, they, Nebraska lost to Minnesota three different times last year, got swept um, for the season. And in each of those, those matches, um, I think Nebraska thoroughly lost the serve and pass battle. They were not as good of a serving team last year as they have been previously throughout kind of uh, this run of success they've been on, and they were not passing very well either. They had some young players back there that were kind of figuring things out a little bit. And this season, I think they've improved quite a bit in both those areas. And we saw on Friday when they, they weren't sharp in the passing area. It just complete, it led to a complete um, collapse of the entire team. So on, on Sunday, they, they passed at a really high level, and they were able to do whatever they want offensively. So it's going to come down to that servant pass game. It always does. Like you hear John Cook say this every single week. Servant pass game, servant pass game. And there's a reason for that. It, you, you can't do – when you pass the ball well, and what that means is when um, the other team sends the ball your way, when you can, that, on that first contact, get the ball right to your setter and allow her to send it wherever she wants, that's when you can run your offense. That's called staying in system where you can get your best players the ball. If she has to run all over the court and chase down an errant pass and just try to get it somewhere near the net, that's kind of when you're sending over um, balls that are easy for the other team to dig and um, kind of send it right back at you. So that's going to be the key is can they handle um, Wisconsin serve, Wisconsin's attack, and get the ball back to uh, Nicklin Haynes to where she can spread the ball around just like we know Wisconsin's going to do. Good stuff. Jacob Padilla's with us hitting some Husker volleyball, hailvarsity.com and magazine at Jacob Padilla underscore on Twitter. Jacob, uh, your takeaway with Hunter Salas being named a McDonald's All-American, what's that mean to the state? Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's only the, he's only the third person ever um, to earn this distinction and only the second boy um, following Kerry Trotter, who he's related to. So um, pretty, <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good family over there. Um, you know, um, his mom, Jessica Haynes, she's related to – basically everybody in the city. So um, pretty good genes in that family. And uh, I think it's, it, it says a lot about just kind of what Hunter was able to do on the both throughout his high school career and on the, the AU circuit to where he put himself on that radar. And the, the people that determine these, these uh, who makes this game and earns all these honors and gets to the top of the rankings – um, they were impressed by what they saw with Hunter and uh, the, the things he showed. And it's unfortunate this year that he won't be able to go out there and actually play in the game and showcase that talent and really kind of put, um, kind of get Nebraska's name out there um, even more so. But they're, they're still going to honor him and all the other nomination, uh, all the other nominees, both the boys and the girls side, going to have a celebration to kind of recognize um, what they've accomplished and all that. So. 
that'll be, it's, a, it's a cool uh, it, it's a cool honor for sure. Um, although I'm sure now, <laughs> after how last season ended, I'm sure he's thinking a little bit more about taking care of business here locally than than that right now. Yeah, Jacob, let's go to the the high school outlook here. Is is districts are winding down, and we're not far away from state. Who do you think's playing? championship level uh, aside from some of the obvious names some some teams that are are really hitting their stride right now and who are some teams right now that that also uh maybe you watch out for i had a chance to see uh, papio on saturday and i know they have five different kids that score in double digits but man they just they're so fluid with their offense i know that's not a bell west or a millard north but they're really good i know prep's really talented i I love what pius does i know central's money Uh, i know north star when they're on their game can be really good and i really like how now that they're healthy southwest is playing ball and and you and i are both uh, uh, big time fans of of when we get to watch uh, Lincoln East play ball, you know, so uh, and I know that there are some teams that are more of a favorite to get the state than others, but just kind of ballpark your view as we head into districts and beyond. Yeah, I think uh, kind of where you start in terms of who's playing really good basketball is you go with what Creighton Prep was able to accomplish in the last week of the regular season, uh, knocking off Miller North in their gym and then bouncing back and um, holding off uh, Omaha Central to kind of close things out. I think most of us have seen this kind of as a kind of like we, we saw in football where we thought, yeah, there was a clear top two and then everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it was, we figured it was going to be one versus two in the final. And then Bellevue West fell short. Um, you're, it's still kind of, you, you felt like Miller North and Bellevue West with everything they brought back from last year's uh, title run for both teams and um, the, the talent they've got. And you kind of felt like they were a step above everybody else. And then prep goes out and, goes toe-to-toe with Bellevue West twice during the, the regular season, wasn't able to quite get it done, but they show they belong on the same court. And then they go to Miller North and win that game. So they've got the belief right now that they're good enough to go toe-to-toe with either one of those teams in, in a semifinal and come out on top. So I think that's kind of the most noteworthy thing at the end of the season here. Um, there, there are, I think there are a chance to be some, some very interesting districts here um, with – you mentioned East and um, Southeast going head-to-head, and then the winner most likely getting Pius. Um, we've seen all those games, and East, heck, they almost beat Pius without Carter Glenn, and then they did beat him when he was out there on the court. And Southeast has gotten a couple of cracks at Pius and hasn't gotten a chance to, to get it done, but it's hard to, it's hard to beat a team with some talent three times in a row. So um, I think that's one in particular I'm looking at. Um, and then you mentioned Lincoln Southwest kind of getting uh, healthier now with that tough backcourt, with that trio of uh, Jared Bohr, Ryland Smith, and Ben Hunziker going up against Papio South with some really good wings. Daniel Brocale is playing at a high level, and um, Graham Kasut shot the ball really well last week. So um, they, they've been a little bit different since uh, Denair Dempsey's kind of been out of the lineup, so, uh, changed that team a little bit, and they're still trying to figure things out. So. That could be another fun kind of first-round district matchup. And then the winner there um, gets the winner of Omaha Central and Omaha Burke. And Mm -hmm. um, Central, they've been a little up and down this year. They're definitely a top-five team. They've they've kind of shown they've they've got the athleticism and the talent, but they've also had some slip-ups against some lesser teams. So 
Um, I think those are probably two of the, the more interesting districts as we head into the postseason here. Jacob, you're on your way down to PBA, uh, Nebraska-Penn State round two for Husker Hoops. Uh, they, again, start a stretch, uh, four games, eight days. What's uh, the sense you get from this team? And, and they could have had more than one win last week. Um, how... How is the fatigue factor? Is it is it worse? Have they been able to rest a little bit? How do you see them kind of kicking things off with Penn State tonight and then beyond? Yeah, um, I think there's still a little bit of there, and we're heading into another tough stretch here with uh, four games in seven days. Um, but with what we saw from the bench and the minutes the bench played, the starters didn't quite uh, get as much run as they had been previously, so... Hopefully that'll give them a chance to kind of get recharged coming back into this. And if you can get good contributions from both some of the starters and the bench, then you become a lot more dangerous uh, team. And we've seen them beat Penn State once already and um, get another chance here in their own gym um, to kind of come out and uh, show that they're ready for some of the adjustments that Penn State made late in that game that they're likely to throw out again. Um, because that was one of Nebraska's better performances to start that game. And then they threw some, some zones, some press um, action at them, and it kind of disrupted everything that Nebraska was doing and turned it into a, a thriller at the end. So um, I think this is a big game for Nebraska heading into this stretch. It's a team that you know you can beat, um, and uh, the rest of the week you, you've got you're going to Illinois, which – you, you played right with them last time, but you weren't able to get that done, and you know those guys are going to come looking uh, looking to take care of business because they've got some, some big postseason goals on their minds, so they can't afford any slip-ups at this point. So it's, it's, the schedule is going to get tough here. you got Rutgers and Iowa um, next week uh, before you've closed out the season against Northwestern, another team that's struggling just like Nebraska is that could potentially be a winnable game there. So. You've got a kind of mix of some really good teams you're playing and some beatable teams. So starting off this stretch with a, a, um, a win over Penn State, I think, would be huge for the team psyche. Jacob Adil is with us, HailVarsity.com and Magazine. Jacob, about 30 seconds. Did you get a chance to catch much of the Michigan-Ohio State game after Nebraska volleyball? If so, uh, I was wowed because of not only the, the pace and scoring, but also big guys were getting the ball thrown to him in the post. I mean, it was kind of throwback basketball versus a lot of three-point launching. But uh, did, did those two guys, those two teams, uh, leave any doubt or just kind of solidify that the Big Ten's uh, really got an opportunity for two one-seeds? Yeah, um, that, that was a really high level yeah. uh, of basketball on Saturday, and it was a showcase for the game and the conference. Yeah, everybody that pays attention to the game, I think, was watching that game and tweeting about um, how good it was. And um, they went right down to the end there, and uh, Michigan was able to get it done. And Jawan Howard's done an absolute, tre- absolutely tremendous job with that team this year, especially with kind of the pauses they've gone through and everything. So, yeah, I mean, Big Ten's looking pretty good here with these two. You got Illinois kind of playing really well again. Um, you, you got a chance with, with three, three or four. Um, kind of in those top few seed lines there. Um, so uh, I, I think I think the Big Ten's in, uh, in a really good spot here as we inch towards the postseason. Jacob, safe travels, and thanks for your time today. Great to get caught up and talk some volleyball and hoops. You take care. Yep, talk to you guys soon. All right. Jacob Adilla, 
Find him on Twitter at Jacob Padilla underscore. Great uh, thoughts on the prep scene as well. We'll dive into uh, some football next with Coach Rick Kaczynski. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hale Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut, preteen Swedish boy. Back into it at Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome in uh, defensive line coach. Rick Kaczynski back with this. Kaz, we've got some of that uh, Palmetto State weather. Well, kind of going on. The sun's <laughs> shining. The thaw The thaw is happening. How you doing, man? I uh, can't complain, man. Balmy, balmy 68 here today, brother. You so, got, it, you got uh, us we'll, by we'll, 10, bro. <laughs> yeah, we'll take it. It's all relative. It's all when it's, when it's 50 here, it feels like 30 to me now. I've gotten, gotten a little soft since my, uh, my Midwestern day. I get you. Uh, so uh, a guy that you had a, a chance to work for, the, the entire state celebrates Coach Tom Osborne blowing out the birthday candles today, uh, 84 years young, and I'd bump into him at the workout facility over by my place, and uh, I wanted nothing to do with, with matching what, what he was throwing up on the curls and the bench. I just kept on and nodded. <laughs> 84 years young. Is there a favorite remembrance or story you have of, of Coach Osborne uh, at your time at Nebraska? Yeah, I think there's one, um, you know, in particular. It was my uh, my first spring there, and, you know, I was getting after those guys um, like I always did on the field. You know, you uh, you saw me coach, and uh, I always asked uh, my players to uh, match the same intensity I had. I always thought that that's, uh, that's a fair way if I'm going to ask a lot of them that expect a lot of me to, and Coach Osborne came over to me you know, during practice and said, he didn't say what coach, but he he told me, he said, you know, you reminded me of a guy I used to have on my staff. And then he kind of paused for about 10 seconds. He said he was, a, he was a great coach. He was a great coach. And I said, man, it really made me feel good. And then I think, um, you know, he we were watching film in the fall and kind of the same thing. You know, he would, he would always just come down, you know, win or loss. He'd always roam the halls on Sunday. And, uh, you know, talk to everybody, just made you feel good, made you feel supported, um, made you feel like hey, everybody was steering, rowing the boat in the same direction. And, and, you know, just in general, I remember Coach Osborne coming all the way down the hall, just saying hello to everybody. And uh, mine was the last office, and he came by me, and, and he said, hey, Coach, guys look good. I said, Coach, I'm appreciate that. It means a lot. He said, hey, do me a favor, catch him, catch him doing something good every once in a while though will you <laughs> gotcha coach i said message uh message got loud and clear and uh, he kind of weeped at me but you know i think you know just that individually uh you know those two stories um not just individually but i think it, it says a lot about how coach osborne just treated everybody you know made everybody feel important um very humble you know uh you know, a guy that just uh, you know oozes humility um, and who's accomplished more in, in college football or at Nebraska than coach. You know, I, I was always in awe of him. You know, anytime he came by, you know, he was a guy that just made you nervous and anxious. But as soon as you saw him, you know, when you heard his voice, you know, you got nervous, you got anxious, but he'd always uh, he'd always put you at ease with, with his words and his tone and his mannerism. And um, it was great for me to... You know, be in that building and be on those sidelines that uh, that Coach Osborne drove. So happy birthday, Coach! Uh, as we say in Polish, 
Stole lot. Stole lot. There you go. It's Rick Kaczynski with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Uh, birthday wish out to Coach Osborne. And the way you described him, I can only imagine having met him a few times, but never obviously the pleasure of working for or with or playing for, clearly. But, I mean, remember being a kid and, and my dad getting us down on the sideline for a spring game, right? And this is probably mid or late 80s, and guys are stretching, right? And you got guys all padded up, and they're ready to go. And I think this was a pretty good 87 or, or 88 football team Nebraska had. And everyone's stretching, and, and every guy on that field, T.O. would walk up to give him a, either a shoulder pad slap or, you know, kind of give him a, a little, you know, five – slash, you know, little handshake deal, and the grin on the guys per guy. I remember that to this day as a kid, just seeing everyone's, like, reaction to him and the way you kind of put it uh, from, a, from a coaching standpoint where he's just there checking in, man, because he cares. Absolutely. And, and too, you know, I can speak for that as a player, too, just what that means. And, you know, my position coach at Notre Dame and Coach Holtz, um, you know, they were, you know, cut from a little bit different cloth. You know, they're, uh, um, you know, different generation. And, you know, just you're always constantly trying to get those, both of those guys' approval. And, you know, it was the same thing. You know, they beat you up early in the week. You know, Monday you couldn't beat, uh, you know, Pius 10 or St. Joe's. And, you know, by Tuesday – you know, they uh, they'd only beat you by a touchdown. You know, Wednesday, you could uh, you could maybe beat an NAIA school, and but by Friday and Saturday morning, man, you felt like you could beat the beat the Cowboys. And it's just amazing with uh, you know legends like that, and just with with their words, and just a little token and sentiment of a head slap or an acknowledgement, just how much confidence that, that gave you. And, uh, you know, I didn't have the privilege of playing for, for Coach Osborne, but I had the privilege of, of playing for Joe Moore and, uh, and Coach Holtz. And I can tell you, man, it's just, uh, it's just amazing. It, it was like uh, somebody putting a shot in your arm mm-hmm. and you just, just that approval in that, okay, I'm, I'm ready. If this guy believes in me, I must be, I must be prepared in doing something right. Coach Kaz with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, what, I, I want to get your take here on, on in-state recruiting in Nebraska when, when you were here and take me back to in-state recruiting as well at Iowa and both programs you were at had to recruit nationally on top of the, the local uh, prospects. Uh, you have a, a high number of kids and the state quite frankly being infiltrated uh with with some some names you know ohio state's lsu's and that's that's happened before it'll happen again but it's happening more and more now just because of of technology and uh and training and it's just uh it's something that it's not common for a lot of nebraska fans to see let alone have kids go elsewhere and Kind of interested how you guys approach that with your with your coaching stops with with retaining in state talent, even though uh, it, it's never been as easy as it's always looked to, to get in state kids to commit. 
Yeah, it, and I think you got to look at the times, and and not that it was that long ago, but mm-hmm. but times have really sped up in college football. Um, you know, with the transfer portal and with people recruiting nationally, and just seems kids now uh, more and more today are are willing to to leave home. Um, you know, kids today. Yeah, you know, I was I was thinking about it. And I know we'll we'll get to. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll talk, talk touch on Jay and um, Jason's new role with uh, with Nebraska, but you know I was thinking about my time at at Notre Dame and my times in high school. I mean, I, I looked up at the guys that came before me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there was a tight end that played at, at at Cathedral when I was growing up. His name was Keith Burns. He might as well have been, you know, Todd Christensen or John Mackey. I mean, that's how I looked at that guy. Um, you know, I looked up to him. And, you know, he's probably a 5'10", 190 <laughs> tight end. But to me, in seventh grade, he was, he was a monster. Um, you know, when I got to Notre Dame, you know, the, you, you, know you, were, you were taught, um, you know, the history. You were tied into what Notre Dame is, what's, what they stood for, you know, who came before you, what that helmet represented. And you knew the names of those guys from 25 years ago, from 30 years ago. You know, hearing Lindsey Nelson on the radio on Sunday, Sunday mornings, the Notre Dame show, you know, listening to, you know, the, the Catholic priest in church, um, you know, mention Notre Dame in his sermons. Just you, know, you had that history tradition. And I, I just don't think that's that's in kids today. Right. Um, you know, for better, or for worse or whatever, I, I'd probably the worst because I'm, I'm, I'm a dinosaur. But, you know, there's a lot more individualism, I think, in, in college athletics. It's who can who can do the most for me instead of what I can bring and what I can be a part of. Um, and, and, and that's a I know that's a that's a huge generalization. Um, but, you know, you know, kids want to go where 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 you can win. And where they feel like they can go develop into an NFL, and you know we live in a transient universe now. You know these kids didn't grow up watching Nebraska for 20 years. I mean, I, I grew up a college football fan um, when I was coming up. Schmidt, you, you know, I had get Penn State, get Notre Dame, and then you had the rivalry games. You know, you had Oklahoma, Nebraska, um, you had Georgia, Georgia Tech. I mean, you had Texas, Oklahoma. Those those were the games that you watched. That because that's that's all that was on TV. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just grew up with these, you know, Notre Dame, Southern Cal, man, like like those guys weren't even real. And I just don't think it's like that. It's so oversaturated now. Everybody's kind of the same, I think, to, to these kids. So I wouldn't put too much stock. I, I think it's just a different conversation than it was even seven years ago when you're talking about in-state kids. I don't. I don't. You want to keep them, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. You you want to, but you also want to get the right kids, and and you, you got to get the best players. Don't care where they're from anymore. Um, so every, no matter where you are, um, there every single college program is losing kids to other places. So. I know it's magnified in places like Iowa, in, in Nebraska, smaller states, uh, smaller pool of prospects. So it stings a little bit more when you lose a kid. But kids aren't growing up, you know, Hawkeye fans. Um, you know, kids aren't growing up Husker fans. Um, you know, it's a little bit different. So you, you want to put those borders around the state, 
but also I wouldn't put too much stock and overthink it and overanalyze when, when you do lose a kid. So, so I think the most important thing is get the, get the right kids, build the program the right way. You know, you start winning nine, ten games again, you're going to get those in-state kids. All right, because then you're going to be close. They feel then those kids are going to feel like, hey, I can come here, I can accomplish what I want, I can go to that winning program, I can get this program over the hump. We can defeat, we can compete for the division, we can compete for the for the conference. So, so I, I don't think you're too far off from there. So, um, you know, I know it's 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 going to make headlines. I know it's going to be big talking point in the media. You really can't worry about that. Worry about the guys you get, not the ones you lose. And then, man, just build that program. It's gonna—it's a process, man. It's a process. What what Scott and his staff took over, I mean, it's—it's it's a total rebuild. I hate to say that, but you know, when you look at it administratively and the, where the program was, they had to start from scratch. So just give them time; they'll get this thing turned. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Rick Kaczynski's with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Guys, you, you alluded to uh, Jay Foreman, Jason Peter, a couple of diehard guys that, that love the program, that played at a high level. They uh, are going to be doing a, a volunteer role. I think Jason's going to do some weight room stuff. I think uh, Jay will do life skills. I know both guys, and uh, they've uh, been in the media or are in the media, and they've also... Uh, spent time and were teammates with, with Scott and uh, they've been uh, reached out to and, and they're excited about uh, their new roles. With your time at Nebraska, Iowa and then also Notre Dame, how much of the past did you lean on? You you painted a great picture of your attentiveness growing up to, to guys that came before you. You were a college football fan. You're also uh, a thousand percent on the money with, you know, history probably not mattering that much. Or is is part of what maybe you or I grew up with, uh, just knowing a, a team having a, a favorite team or a regional team we, we cheered for or were locked in on. In your case, you went and played for them. So I'm anxious to, to get your take and, and thought on uh, reaching out to guys that were high level performers and, and having them uh, be a part of the program. Yeah, well, any any time you can get guys who were successful in the program and bring them back and talk to the players about their experience. And it's not necessarily their, their playing experience. Um, it's the total experience. And, you know, both those guys saw adversity, and they fought through it. There isn't a guy that lands at a major institution, student-athlete or student, that, that goes somewhere, stays there four and five years, and walks out of there with a degree that hasn't faced adversity. Uh, and, you know, there, you got you got two options. And you can, you can lay down, you can run, and go transfer like a lot of kids are doing, mm-hmm. or you can fight with adversity. You can get off the ground, fight back, and, and overcome those things, and that be part of your legacy, that be part of your story. You know, when you go to college, man, you're creating a story. And when you look at Jay, you look at Jason, you know, two guys from, you know, different parts of the country um, came to Nebraska. I'm sure the roads weren't, weren't easy. Obviously, Jason uh, well-documented some of the issues and kept fighting back, kept swinging, right? 
you know, I heard Jay talk before about he was seventh on the depth chart um, as a freshman, you know, and his goal was to, you know, beat those other six guys out and become the guy, and that happened. Now, the story is what he had to do to beat those other six guys out, and I think that's where it's just beneficial uh, for guys like that to be around the program. It's not the X and O. It's not the technique. It's not those type of things. It's, you know, it's that bridge to talking to these guys about, hey, what they're going through. Let me tell you, man, I mean, being a freshman on campus and being on the scout team and getting your head beat in every day, it's not fun. It's not fun, and especially nowadays when there's an out without consequence or penalty to put your name in a portal and and be able to leave, you know, and go play right away. Man, I tell you, that's, you know, what's holding these guys back. So I think when you got guys like Jay and Jason, I think that's where their role comes in, talking to these guys, man. Because as a position coach, you recruit a guy, you know, you have them during fall camp. If they go to the scout team, man, you you really do. It's really hard to connect um, because they're on the opposite side of the ball. They're not in meetings. Usually when you see them, it's about academics or something like that. You kind of, you kind of lose track. So I think when you, when you look at those roles and what the NCAA is allowing staffs to do to expand those staffs, I think it's more important now, now more than ever to help have guys besides the coaches, um, you know, bridge that gap, help those young guys, especially those young guys, because if you've got to keep kids on campus now. You can't. You can't worry about the recruit you lose. You got to worry about the recruit you have on campus. You have to keep those guys, and you got to develop those guys. And you can't develop guys that aren't there. So, I think it's. I think it's. It's pivotal. It's vital. I, I think it was a great move on Scott's part bringing those guys. And they're winners. But they're winners. But neither one of their paths were easy. So I think they can they can they can talk about that experience and in the players they can relate to those players and those players can draw on that experience and that adversity, and and they can they can help them see hey guys there there is light at the tunnel if you keep pushing so so I think it's uh, I think it's a great deal for Nebraska. Touch on Iowa as well. We we got the Nebraska picture, but also a, a thought on on Iowa because that that has a, a, a lot of tradition and in history as well well i think you know kirk did a really good thing um i thought he had he had players do reports on guys that played their position and and it wasn't just a a report on how many tackles they had how many sacks they had how many rushing yards they had it was where they came from right when they started to play and i think what and these players would have to do this during camp and they would have to get up in front of the team. And, and the lesson was, you know, you see a Ronnie Harmon. You see an Adrian Claiborne. You know, you see these guys, these freshmen walk in, and they see these guys at their peak when really they hit their stride and things are kind of easy for them, right? They're in a rhythm. Well, I think, you know, when these guys would do this history and study these former players that were successful, they saw the path wasn't easy. And I think that was so beneficial. You know, I mean, I had Claiborne in my office in 2007 wanting to transfer because he didn't, he didn't think he was playing enough. And, you know, we had a discussion about what he needed to do, and, and the guy did it. Um, you know, numerous conversations, numerous stories about 
guys who fought through those type of things. And every guy has to fight through those things. And it's no different that at Notre Dame. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Coach Holtz uh, would bring former players back that were successful. And what they talked about was, you know, about their time at Notre Dame and what they dealt with and how it wasn't easy and how it was difficult and how, you know, what it was like coming from California, what it was like coming from Pennsylvania, and then talking about their experience, not just while they were on campus, but also post-graduation and how what that university can do for you. It's not a four-year window, it's a 40-year window. And, and I think that was just so beneficial for me and a lot of the guys that, that I hung with and still are friends with to this day, and I think it's, it was beneficial for the guys that I coached. That report sounds uh, like a great idea. And you've mentioned before the, the Big Brother program that, that Holtz would have uh, where he'd pair you, he'd pair you with, a, with a senior and you'd have somebody to kind of show you the ropes as well. Yeah, the Big Bully program. <laughs> the, the don't screw this thing up program. <laughs> well, give me, give me your, give me your tickets, freshman program. Yeah. Well, I didn't know about those parts. I just it was called the Big nah, Brother, but the Big Bully. Yeah, I'm, uh, you. I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, funny. you know what it was though. It was about earning your stripes and sure. earning respect, and that's that's what it was. You know, so <laughs> you uh, you earn respect. You know, it, uh, it's not something that's given to you. So I need four to Miami this week, freshman. Hand them over. <laughs> That's right. Rick That's right. With us. Kaz, have a great week, man. It was good to you be too, brother. Thanks, man. Same here, man. You guys take care in Lincoln. Gotta love Coach Kaz. Some call it the big brother. He said the big bolt, the, uh, the, the the big bully program. Uh, good stuff. Great insight on Coach Kaz. We'll wind down a Tuesday. Basketball coming up locally on ESPN Lincoln. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time, Motsi is going to be uh, taking you through some basketball tonight. Millard West and can I call them the Fighting Verdes? Lincoln Southwest. And um, that'll be happening right at 6. Will Wilson over on KFOR with some action. So uh, off to Arizona, uh, Minana, Damon Barr is going to insert shock collars on Will Wilson and uh, Elijah Herbal. This thing will no doubt be uh, well-oiled and ready to go. Excited for that. So Damon, we got to talk about dinner tonight. What do you, what's uh, Damon and Damon's better half doing this evening? Well, you, you know this this past weekend has just been a complete fast food binge. I did McDonald's last uh, night at like eight thirty, mm-hmm. and, I, and I've I've grown two cup sizes, and, and I <laughs> the the you know I'm the I'm the the fat guy wearing a tight t shirt. I mean that's what it's turned into. Yeah, it, it's just been could uh, not help myself last. No evening. groceries left, so I don't know. I'll mix some like rice and chicken and just. Try to keep it a little healthy tonight. We'll we'll see. Do you eat anything green? You're gonna eat uh, something green I, tonight, won't you? I could make some broccoli. I could throw some broccoli in. You a Caesar in salad there. guy? Uh, yeah, I, I go for a salad. I just don't like a uh, salad dressing. So at all? 
No, it, it's weird. I'll eat the I'll eat the leaves. I'll eat the lettuce, but uh, nothing on top. So there's no salad dressing you've ever found. <laughs> don't like ranch. Don't like Italian. It's I, I don't know. It's weird. Maybe I need to like get you some honey mustard Maybe. or some <laughs> get you some. Uh, Asian sesame or something, <laughs> just awesome. Well, yeah, hopefully I'd like it. But you're uh, like, dude, shut up! I've been eating salad my whole life. I need you to tell me what to put on it. Give me some croutons. Give me a bacon bit. Give me some egg, a little turkey, some carrots, some peppers. I'm good. Don't need dressing. Good for Damon Bar, as he's gonna he's gonna eat healthy tonight. <laughs> I am not the next five days. Boom. Excited about that. Check the podcast out. Amazing uh, insight on hoops and volleyball from Jacob Padilla. Mitch Sherman, great to talk some Husker ball with him. And then Rick Kaczynski, great perspective on, um, you know, what what tradition can bring, right? Tradition, a big part of Nebraska football and uh, Nebraska football getting two, uh, two greats to, to be a part of their program with Peter and uh, and Foreman, and I really liked what what Coach Cass had to say. Is is it's not as much about back in my day versus <laughs> it ain't easy, and I know what you're doing and feeling, and here's how you get through it. Oh, and by the way, we won a lot, and here's how we kind of navigated that. So I I think it'll be cool. I think it'll be cool. Uh, I will. Uh, I don't know if I'm gonna check in at all uh, till till Sunday night, but. I'll be back Monday. Many thanks to Elijah Herbal, Damon Barr, Will Wilson for uh, what they're going to do. And that's uh, Rock Hale Varsity Radio, Cranach on Saturday, of course. And, uh, yeah, we got Romy coming up. And then it is Jeff Motes and Southwest Basketball in Millard West. That is on deck here locally in Lincoln. Doug Duda's got action for you on 1460 and 1550. And probably some action uh, on Newstock 900 in Columbus. Columbus. Enjoy. Take care. And uh, we'll talk again. Hail Varsity were presented by the Nebraska Lottery.